You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 76. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum. This is episode 76. Uh, joined by my co-host, Aaron, as usual today. Aaron, how are you doing? Good. Good Good evening. Good morning. Good whatever time it is, wherever you're watching and listening. Well, by the time we're recording this a little bit early, uh, about a week early, um, because by the time this goes out on my podcast feed, I am going to be in uh, Lviv, Ukraine. Um, and so I don't know what time it'll be when it goes out for me. I will try to make sure the thing goes out at the right at the at, at the right time, uh, you know, the right time frame at the right time zone. So you will get your recording uh, Monday night as usual. What's the date that this goes out Monday night? It's going to be uh, six days from today. Which what is that, the 22nd? Being, uh, yes, July 22nd, this goes out. It's actually going to be the day after an election in the Ukraine. I told that that could be a little bit um, dicey, but we'll see what happens there. I'm actually there to teach a course on Bayesian thinking for applied learning at uh, Ukraine Catholic University. So they have like a little summer school uh, data science summer school and i've been told that like 40 people signed up for my class so that's cool yeah well into the double digits and and it's an and it's a nine hour i have nine hours of instruction to do so hopefully i get that right um yeah any advice for me there i they want me to make slides but i'm like nine hours of slides i think i'm just going to do some of this the old-fashioned way you know notes and um, yeah i mean i i don't know what the rule of thumb is is when when you're talking about some of the, the more advanced kind of machine learning topics, but uh, well, I don't someone think it's at gonna some be, point told yeah. me that, that it was, you know, what, no more than one slide a minute. Um, but, but at nine hours, that's still a lot of slides. <laughs> that's going to be way too many slides. Well, yeah, and and, I and hate the more complex slides. the slide, the longer yeah. you can have it up while you talk about it. Yeah, no, I just like topics and then talk about the topic. Uh, some of the topics are going to be the ones that we uh, talk about here on the show, Bayesian inference, uh, the, uh, the theoretical, like the philosophical underpinnings of uh, probability to help you understand how to solve those problems. That's all really interesting. Um, and then something else is going on today, which I announced on the podcast last time. But this week, <laughs> I am uh, back at Foursquare. And um, I didn't think that was going to happen. But um, hey, it happened. And so you thought I, you were out, but they, they pulled you back in. It's yeah. It's is that from a mo- all over again? That's from Godfather? I, I believe so. It's been a while since I've watched, rewatched any of it. Yeah. All right. I tried to put my job description on LinkedIn. Why don't, we, why don't I read that and see if, uh, see if we can critique it. Joining the Foursquare Labs team with some great engineers and the executive chairman to build fun and amazing products on top of Foursquare's tech for all of you to enjoy as you move about the world. The focus will be on product research and rapid prototyping. I will also be doing internal consulting and training on Foursquare's machine learning and statistical solutions throughout the tech and product stack. So I think, I don't know how this is going to go, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So at least, uh, at least that'll be, uh, at least that'll be in there and great. Uh, hopefully every few weeks I'll have like a new product launch that I can, um, announce here on the local maximum saying, Hey, this is available now. Well, that that's exciting. And I look forward to, to, to being, to continuing to be a, uh, a, a beta tester for some of these things. Yeah. Well, we might do I some mean, more I, I Mars got in bot. on the ground floor for Mars bot. So that yeah. was, that was exciting back in the day. I can't we believe little... it's been that long. Yeah. It's, it's two years. Uh, whatever I do, it always comes back in two years is like a good thing, but nobody likes it at the time. Uh, well, people like Mars bot, but it, all these things are like a tough sell for the company. It's always tough, um, you know, when you're not the company's like, okay, we'll put a few people in R and D, but we don't really have an idea of what our return on investment is. And it's always concerning when they you get the feeling that they might thank you in a few years, but while you're going through it, they're not really, um, you know, you don't get any support. But we'll see. It seems like you know, Foursquare is really at the forefront of some of the product R and D now, or hopes to be. So I hope to. Uh, I hope to move that forward, and maybe we will we'll make some decisions to try to build a better internet than the um, the one we have now, uh, with all your apps um, driving you crazy. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll have your apps making you smiling and uh, giving you good value. I guess a better like internet isn't quite the uh, 
the dirty buzzword. A new internet is definitely the dirty buzzword, but I feel like that's that from a from, couple of years ago in, in Silicon Valley. Yeah, that hasn't been on the air for a little while, but I don't think we're building a new internet, just uh, new applications. I, anyway. Can, um, b- before we move on, can we take a step back yeah. to something you mentioned earlier? So when you're in Ukraine... Um, yeah. Are... I, I guess I got two questions. One is, will, will they be providing you with a translator or, or is the expectation that everyone there is functionally no. fluent in English? It's, it's an English language course. Um, I'll put that, the course up. Yeah. And it's called Bayesian Thinking for Applied Machine Learning. I'm going to do an intro to Bayes' rule and its history in solving problems. In fact, I might, maybe, I'll do, maybe I'll turn that into a show. Conjugate priors. That might be tough to turn into a show. <laughs> Markov Chain Monte Carlo. We did a show on that uh, episode uh, four, uh, but we could revisit that. Uh, Monte Carlo is always fun. It's like moving around randomly until you find a solution. I mean, that sounds really bad. It's better than that, but <laughs> still, uh, it's uh, based on that. So, and today we're actually going to talk a little bit about um, a, uh, I guess, a machine learning product called word to vec that Google came out with. Uh, it's <laughs> one of the positive things we're saying about Google today. Um, and we're going to talk about how that's used in making scientific discoveries. So we'll get to that at the end of the program. Um, to start the program, we're going to talk a little bit about huh, a lot of Bitcoin's been in the news still. Um, and then Google and all their shenanigans in terms of their you know, Such a fun word, uh, shenanigans. I love that term um, because it makes it think like, oh, they're like lots of people they are getting into trouble when really it's just a bunch of people sitting in front of a screen. Uh, but um, it's uh, it's uh, I mean, I mean, you know, getting into trouble in like a funny comedic way, like it would be yeah, fun. So, to watch someone's going to get a pie in the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that's happening. But um, hey, are they are they trying to influence that, the election? That's an interesting uh, topic of discussion. So first. Thank you for listening to the Jeff Tucker episode today. I, you told me that you listened to it a little bit, right? I did, yes. And, yeah, and um, a lot of people out there listened to it because today was the highest downloaded day of the local maximum. Again, we keep hitting records. Like every few weeks, we hit another record. And so I'm glad that people are seeing the value in what we do here um, and trying to give people different perspectives. I know, you know, some someone like Jeffrey Tucker, he's often talked... He's often talking to, you know, the political philosophy folks, but um, I try to steer it in uh, the direction of kind of innovators and product makers and try to see what he had to say about that. So I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, they may be short edges, but uh, but shared edges between those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And so one thing that he said really stick out stuck out um, when looking at the news today which was, um, he said, you know, when Bitcoin was created, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, you know, when Bitcoin was created, you know, we have to admit that we don't really know what money is before the creation of Bitcoin. And now a lot of people say, okay, now we see Bitcoin, and then we turn away, turn around and say, okay, now I definitely know what money is. Um, when you're kind of, <laughs> well, let's talk about it uh, in Bayesian terms. Um, when you're really sure about something, but then you see some strong evidence of something else, then your uh, standard deviation gets bl- should get blown out, and you're like, I don't really know uh, the answer here. I'm 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 less certain about it. So no, that's a good point. Um, I don't think that anyone would have guessed. I mean, Bitcoin was supposed to be peer-to-peer cash, um, but it's turned into yes, it could be peer-to-peer cash, but primarily um, primarily digital gold right now. Um, and if you think about it, yeah, it should be a good store of value before, like when two people are exchanging the technical problem of how do we do the exchange using our technology, whether it's our, you know, our watch or our phone or our computer, that's a totally different problem than what denomination you're, you're changing. And so, uh, Bitcoin is an entirely different denomination. And so it's interesting to note that, that's one thing I really agreed with him on and um, took to heart. Like, yeah, you got to be very humble in this space because that sort of matches my own expectations in not being very good at predicting what's going on in this space. Well, I, I, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and uh, go, and, go for it. and throw out a Trump uh, uh, quote here. I, I guess yeah. I guess this is a quote of a tweet um, from, yeah. from the Business Insider article. But uh, so it should be it should be pointed out here. This is the first time the president of the United States has weighed in on cryptocurrencies. And, and he said, quote, 
I am not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which are not money and whose value is highly volatile, volatile and based on thin air. Um, my response to which is, and what is the U.S. dollar based on? Because <laughs> yeah, it's well, not based on the gold standard or, or any fungible assets. It's based on a promise that will pay debts. And I'll tell you what they say. Uh, they say, first, it's, it's backed by a country which has an army. And second, they'll say... That takes you down a road that gets real ugly yeah. real fast. Well, let me tell you, like, um, we had, well, in the United States, U.S. history, and there are other countries have similar histories, we had hyperinflation during the Revolutionary War. We had the continental dollar, um, and that didn't go very well for them. People lost their, their savings the, there. There was a similar problem during the Civil War with uh, sure. both governments printing sure. endless currency to fund the, uh, the war effort. Right, and I believe and I, it was Hamilton put us on the gold standard after to prevent when, that. When from did happening. war bonds become a thing? Was was that around during the Civil War, or, or was that more of a World War One uh, invention? I don't know. I've, I've taken this way off topic. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I want to say <laughs> so World War One. Back to inflation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, right. Another point they'll make is that well, the dollar is backed by the fact that you can pay taxes in dollars, but that's not. Well, that's not really true because there's no guarantee of how much, how many dollars you're going to need to pay your taxes. So it'd be one thing if the government says, okay, you own this land, right? $1,000 is guaranteed to pay your taxes every year. It's like, no, we're not going to tell you how many, how much taxes are good. Like the tax on this property could be something totally different in 10 years and it could be many more dollars. So it's, uh, it's not really the greatest argument. But it does have going for it is network effects and the fact that other world currencies are worse. Um, so, I, I, yes, I, it's, it'll be interesting to see whether, the, whether crypto goes after the dollar first or whether it starts eating up yeah, some I, of these other world currencies that I, are not I will, as good. I will not be the first and certainly not the last to point out that, that Trump is, is not an economist uh, and he well, is certainly not a monetary policy expert. So I feel that he has... Very little to Although very little leg to stand rate. on to, yeah. to comment on the place that that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have uh, in, said, in our economic model. But, but that's never stopped rates. him before. Big brain, low interest rates. He's also very good on trade, the best on trade. Uh, so uh, yeah, I uh, it's um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that didn't come out of nowhere, uh, which is really interesting. It's certainly, I mean. He was definitely directing his attack there at Facebook's cryptocurrency, and so it which, almost which seems I think certain. is fair, but but, yeah. but not. I wouldn't make this. I I would criticize them, but from a different tack. But but to bring it back to what what uh, Jeffrey Tucker was saying that that uh, this whole uh, well we we apparently we didn't know what money is, but but do we now know? And I think well, no, and we still don't know what money what old money is, and certainly not what this new dimension of money is. And and if we. Yeah. We're we're fooling ourselves if if we try to answer that in the affirmative, right? Right, and we can come up with some ideas. Like I have the idea that okay, Bitcoin is finite in value, unlike any other hard resource like gold. Even though gold is the closest to finite you're going to get when it comes to materials, um, it, it is finite in the way that any natural resource is, but more so. Um, right, uh, uh, gold. Gold, I mean, yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, gold is because it's very difficult to extract, and so and so um, it's in the same category as as oil or uh, phosphorus yeah. or lithium or, yeah, or, except, or any of those kind of mineral type resources. Except a lot of those stuff, a lot of that stuff, you can take it out of the ground really easily, but then it gets used up. Whereas gold, you can take it out of the ground much more. It's much more difficult, and once it's out of the ground, it stays in the hands, uh, like it doesn't um, decay or anything like that. So really, the um, the global supply of gold is actually pretty stable, um, which is why it's the best money. But now we have forms of money, and Bitcoin isn't the only one. It's just the biggest one where it's actually, um, you know, actually limited. Like we know how much there is, right. and there'll never and, be any more. And how much there'll so, ever be? Yeah, and so. Um, is that where we're going in terms of the direction of hard objective money? That's one of my hypotheses that I put some some good good prior juice on some good uh, you know, uh, some good But yeah, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I know what money is. But that's that's sort of my 
that's one theory, you know, that I, I sort of follow. Um, but yeah, it's really fascinating. If Bitcoin is the, the emerging global standard, this is exactly how it would happen. It starts in fits and starts, and at first it's all scammy. Or, or, and now or all even to generalize a little bit more, not necessarily yeah. Bitcoin, but, but right. some, some type of, of cryptocurrency. Right, right. And, and, and now have, we're up, have, have they come up with a new name for it? Because cryptocurrency, the, I, uh, I know the crypto part, we, we've talked in the past about cryptocurrency and crypto Jews and crypto this and crypto oh, that. God. That, yeah. that there's, there's, there's an implication that comes with the use of the, the prefix crypto, which I feel it's like hidden. the currency should move beyond. But, right. but I it haven't sounds heard like, an alternate uh, yeah, yeah. convention secret, for that. It sounds like secret currency. Yeah, we, which is... Uh, which uh, is I, that, that's an element of it, but certainly yeah. not the the defining element. I think because right. there's I, and and this is mostly beyond my understanding. But there's there's public coins and private coins and security coins, and, and they all fall under this yeah. cryptocurrency umbrella. So um, yeah, no crypto means uh, yeah crypto means secret, but it's not secret money. It's money based on secrets, um, which is that doesn't sound much better. Yeah, no. Um, okay, based on... Based but it's on also secret. the most transparent money. Yeah, yeah. Um, in some ways. Um, so, so, so let's so, let's bring that back. You, you, you mentioned before... Certainly in of terms reason, of... Certainly more transparent in terms of monetary policy. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're saying part of the reason that this, this came up, what you think prompted, uh, prompted Trump to break his, his lifelong silence on cryptocurrency... Uh, is the advent of the Facebook coin, or well, it's it's not a Facebook yeah, coin, but it is a cryptocurrency not, with significant backing from the Facebook Corporation. And it hasn't be, been the advent yet; it's just proposed, uh, yeah. which I think there's a good chance this doesn't get off the ground at all. Um, it's just, it's so hard. Look, the fact that it's being t- attacked left and right; it's so easy. To it's so easy for these big companies to kind of get uh, uh, deterred into doing something else that it just seems like this is not going to work. And even if, like, you can't just say, okay, Facebook has all these users, so they're going to get all these users using Libra. No, they have a good channel to get people to use it from, but they're still starting from scratch, and it's not going to be that easy. And yeah, if, they, and, and, and I if think... they advertise it on their platform, they're giving up something else. Like, they're giving up advertising space that they could be used to be making money elsewhere. They still calculate it that way. So it's it's almost like a startup within... It's a lot harder than people think. And we talked... I talked about that with Miriam in episode 72, I think. Yeah, and I, I think one one of the biggest things to caveat is there there have been I've seen numerous mentions of oh this is an opportunity to provide a means of exchange to the unbanked and yeah. and I call shenanigans uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it PG thirteen <laughs> that right. I think that that rationale is is absolutely you can make a case for it and it is completely hollow. It's a shell inside there, There's no way that that's the motivation. And I would be flabbergasted if, if that's actually the result of this, assuming it does get off the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's that I, I, I think there's, they, they see an opportunity to, to, to make not a cash grab, but, but almost a, a real estate, you know, a market space grab here that they want in on the coin thing. And, and they think that with by being the 800-pound gorilla in the room, uh, they can prevent some other uh, large cryptocurrency from becoming the de facto um, mainstream version by, by inserting I mean, themselves there. And even if, they, even if it, it dies on the vine, that by being there and, and sucking the air out of the room, they prevent somebody else from taking it and running with it. Yeah, so um, if you look at... Bitcoin's market cap is $167 billion. Um, that's a lot, even for Facebook. And the idea that they're just going to come and swoop in on that is, um, yeah, it's not going to be that easy. Um, so uh, now, just because Trump tweeted it, he said he's not a fan, but it doesn't seem like he is fanatically opposed to it um, in terms of like, you know, we have to ban it or whatever. In fact, his uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin came out recently and said, hey, you can invest in this, just don't do like legal stuff with it. Um, so we thought that was interesting. And then Kevin McCarthy, who is the, he, what is he, the minority leader in the 
U.S. House of Representatives. He said, I like Bitcoin. So, wow, I mean, you have um, <laughs> some political leaders accepting it. Do you know how long, five years, people have been telling me, oh, this is going to totally be banned um, and it hasn't happened. Like people well, were like, oh. to, to be fair, there are countries where it has been banned. Yeah, but none to the effect. Which is there a country where it's like enforced really vigorously? Uh, well, I mean, how, how would you enforce it? But but my yeah, understanding I mean, is that India passed point. something that's that's fairly restrictive. Yeah, yeah, but it and, hasn't. And been India banned. is a billion people. That's that's uh, what uh, one one seventh, one sixth of the world market, right there. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it hasn't been banned in the United States, and I bet they use it plenty in India. Um, <laughs> uh, so you, talking about the difficulty of banning this technology, uh, you found an article on um, sending value, sending, these, uh, sending Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to each other via radio. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so, so this is, uh, for, for, for starters, uh, Bitcoin is not simple, or cryptocurrency in general is not simple, and and this is like a, a, a level beyond that in in complexity of of getting geared up and using. But uh, very relevant, I think, to some of the cases we've discussed in the past about using cryptocurrency, for example, in Venezuela or perhaps in Cuba uh, or or anywhere that that you have uh, that you you have unreliable connectivity and maybe even unreliable power grid or you don't trust the networks that you're on um then then these are methods using satellite connections and ham radio uh that that they are verifying and relaying uh elements of the blockchain beyond your your internet service provider um so this this could be very useful uh particularly in those places where maybe the government is trying to crack down and prevent the use of this um, and granted, it's it's not without risk in that kind of a scenario. They can still you know try and hunt you down for doing this, but but it's a lot harder to stop than simply uh, flipping a switch on on the local ISP uh, yeah. or or putting some sort of DNS block on there. So let me explain something about these Bitcoin transactions. When you when I want to transact with you, I s- s- digitally sign a transaction. Let's not go into the, how that works, but basically. <laughs> I come up with a bunch of data and I want to broadcast it widely. And it doesn't matter if it's, it doesn't matter if everyone in the world sees it, it's secure, it's, um, it's like an encrypted message. And it basically says, hey, I give you this value and I have proof that I signed it. And so that actually turns out to be not that much data. Um, one thing that Andreas Antonopoulos points out is that you can send a transaction in, I think it was 15 emojis is enough data on Skype. So 15 emojis. Not, not literally emojis, just, just the data bandwidth equivalent, correct? No, literally emojis. Like oh. if there are X number of emojis available, and if you send 15 of those emojis, then um, there's enough data in there. If we come up with some method of transforming the uh, emoji into uh, a number and then putting the number and we, and we figure out how to put the numbers together the right way. There's enough data in there. There's enough bits in there to send a transaction. Hmm. So that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. In fact, I don't, someone should do that. Someone should come up with an emoji language. for. Um, so, so th- this is, this is almost an analog uh, methodology for the, the promulgating of, of this digital cryptocurrency, um, which, which is, it's, it's almost steampunk in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very cool. And are people actually doing it or is it just a theoretical I, thing? I think, it, I mean, there are people doing it, yeah. but I think at this point it's very much like, it, it's the type of people who are already kind of ham radio nerds. Right. And they're doing it not because they need to do this in order to, to, be in the Bitcoin space, but because it's kind of a proof of concept and they think it's kind of cool. And, you know, it's, it's good to have some people out there testing out this, this proof of concept in the event that something like this becomes critical for use. You, you don't want to be learning it uh, under whether, whether it be disaster scenarios or oppressive governments, because, because it's, it's not just the scenario of, you know, there, there might be a revolution fomenting in, in Venezuela that something like this could be useful. But uh, let, let's say you have a, a Hurricane Katrina type scenario and there, there's, there's no ATMs. 
there's no banks operating in a large yeah. swath of the country. But if you can have a network, a, a, a radio, a mesh radio network of ham operators set up with with the ability to run this protocol over it, you could have a a analog equivalent uh, running the the blockchain and I mean, and make the the digital exchange of currency possible in these areas, even with with limited. Uh, uh, power grid functionality. Well, you need two things. Like, I could send you a transaction. I could send you a transaction on a piece of paper, right? But, right. like, um, so broadcasting it is one thing, but you'd have to actually be able to, you know, confirm it. And so that's going to be a little more difficult. But. Well, right. And, and, and a network of, of people with this type of equipment would basically allow you to yeah. move that message from from what would perhaps be considered a dead zone out into the wider network and, and spread it out without necessarily having direct access to, uh, right. you know, a, a, a coin exchange wherever you happen to but be. But you'd have to be, you, you, no, yeah. you, you'd I mean, only need a node in the network, but you have to have, uh, ultimately, they have to have access to someone who does. Right. And, and, and you could certainly, you could do this uh, you know, via sneaker net. You could have somebody write, writing down uh, uh, sequences of numbers and smuggling them out of the country and then updating it once they get to, to somewhere that it's, it's safe to do so or, or that they have access. Uh, but this is, this is a way of, of automating uh, and this, that, that somewhat w- without the, the kind of the high cost of, of transactions in terms of, of man hours and effort. All right. So exchanging value when the grid is down, all that good stuff. A really tinfoil hat today. Uh, to continue on that, on that hey, not, path. Not all tinfoil hats are crazy. Yeah. Uh, is Google quite fashionable. Is Google uh, working to elect a Democrat in 2020? Uh, that's the headline. Um, I guess this story is, uh, you know, there was kind of a leak in you know, Project Veritas, which we could talk about a little bit, um, that says that, uh, yeah, essentially, um, Google, Googlers, look, it's no secret that a lot of Googlers have a big stake in the next election. They really want to see Donald Trump defeated. Um, you know, in some ways I understand, but it, it's, they, they really have this activist culture where I find it difficult to believe that uh, you know people aren't bringing that into their day-to-day product decisions. Yeah, and, and to be fair, some of some of this uh, may be company culture, but uh, I think a large part of it is they are a young company, both in terms of how long they've been around uh, yeah. and in terms of their, a their workforce. Yeah, and and so uh, you know, having having a large portion of your your uh, workforce being being millennials, you're going to have. Uh, an inherent lean towards more activism in this in this type of area. Yeah. So so I'll, I'll cut them a little a bit podcast? of slack there, but it sounds like we're moving beyond that in in what's being discussed here. Yeah. Okay. So um, can, can you go into a little bit more detail on what was discussed? Yeah. So uh, I, I so we're, we're reaching back a little bit because I actually yeah. watched the video back when I yeah, when it's I a was, few weeks ago. was in Austria a couple of weeks ago, um, but. Uh, I guess there was there was a, a a document that was leaked as well as uh, someone who they're referring to as a whistleblower from inside the company um, who was who was talking, you know, with 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 their face obscured and their voice altered uh, on on the record. Uh, plus, uh, there was hidden camera footage from a lunch with uh, uh, a woman who I'm. It's it's been a while, so I'm forgetting uh, what her title was, but but she was. Uh, Involved in, in basically, you know, determining some of, of this, what content we're, we want to uh, what we want to promote and how to combat uh, what what we see as as tampering uh, in in the election uh, and and right. So it's and how to prepare for 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 twenty twenty based on twenty sixteen, uh, and and she said some things on camera uh, that can be spun in in either direction. I'd say. Right. So it, it kind of sounds like it, it's I don't think that you get two people in a room and they agree on what's fair. And so, um, you know, that. Um, yeah. Well, and, and, and that was one of the things that that they got her on tape saying, which which they one side of the argument would cite as a gotcha, which which is uh, she said something to the effect of there's a large swath of America that 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 does not agree with me on what I think what you know what I think slash what we think at Google is is fair uh, and and is is uh, you know 
truthful, honest, accurate speech. Hmm. Um, and, and, and she was openly recognizing that there's a, a large segment of the population that will disagree with that. Um, with the implication of tough cookies were making that decision. Yeah. Well, one thing that you could do to check that is really interesting, if you look at Google's autocomplete, if you type in Hillary Clinton's emails, uh, the autocomplete is, you know, is empty. In other words, they clearly blacklisted that term from having autocomplete. Uh, other figures, emails... And, and, and not to go down yeah. the highly politicized one side or the other, um, d- just to point out that that there are clearly certain search terms that they are, are uh, I, I guess the term is blacklisting, uh, that they're influencing what comes up in autocomplete and, and therefore having some effect on, on what people are searching for and finding. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I- and this is not to say that they're not doing it in both directions. Uh, this is just an example to, to show that they are in some ways manipulating what results we're going to see. Sure, sure. I mean, the other search results haven't banned that. You can look at that directly. Um, I think that you know every every internet service and search engines have some degree of blacklisting because sometimes you find things in there that are so ridiculous that they just need to be removed. And so you know, for example, and, and this was, I mean, in Foursquare we have blacklists from getting ratings, um, receiving a rating. So for example. Um, uh, Auschwitz concentration camp was blacklisted from having a rating. Um, I'm sure there were plenty of people who were, you know, giving it, giving it five stars and making some very insensitive. No, uh, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even that. It was just people were uh, rating the museum positively. And so then what happens is, um, yeah, it gets a really high review. If if you liked this place, then you might also like Auschwitz. Oh God. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's bad too. Uh, no, it was just banned from having a rating. Like no one wants to see. Oh, it's a nine out of ten would would return type situation. Yeah, well, uh, and and but that makes sense. Um, I, I generally speak very highly about DuckDuckGo um, as as a search engine alternative because there they, there are a lot of things they do better than Google. I feel. Um, however, uh, I I don't think that that we could realistically say that they're not going to be blacklisting some things. It may be a very different list of things, but I think the big differentiator there is more what they do with your data as opposed to right. how they're influencing search results. Because, right, because right, if right. they weren't influencing search results, it wouldn't be a very – it would be a less useful tool. Sure, sure. Um, but the question is how exactly are they influencing those, those search results and is it to our benefit or our detriment? Exactly. Um, I – an interesting point that I want to make before we move on is just, you know, will this actually work? Um, Because I think that Google, or rather the employees in Google who are involved in this, they might be overestimating their ability to affect the outcome of the election. Um, And, you know, even if people search and see, I don't know, I mean, maybe if they Google did it in like such an obvious way, but then, you know, they they can't do it in an obvious way. So... They, It'll be fascinating to see what, what the so. But my, what I'm saying let, is, even if people search and see things, are they really paying attention to autocomplete? Is there really a direct connection to people's mind that if they see something in autocomplete or they see this search above that search, that they're going to think about that uh, when they're actually in the ballot box? Um, I'm not. As, you know, that, that's an interesting this, psychology and sociology uh, yeah. uh, experiment. We have to be this run belief there. that you can like. You know, just by the power of suggestion, just by flashing something on the screen, you can totally like remake the person's brain. But I don't know. I, if I would that's think really a true. bigger influence would be how far they bury a result beyond the first page of results. Sure. Uh, as opposed to autocomplete, which which I'm sure there's there's some algorithm magic happening there too. I think. Uh, but they could really hurt a down ticket person if they, you know, if someone doesn't know about the person. And so they're Googling them as their main source of information. For the presidential candidates, that doesn't, um, that doesn't yeah. really work as well. Um, so <laughs> it remains to be seen, I think, if... Yeah, well, what, what would be really interesting, and, and I'm going to throw something out there and, and suppose it's true for, for the sake of argument. So yeah. let's say that, that yes, indeed, um, the reason that Trump won in 2016 was because of massive uh, Russian influencing of the election. Um, so so let's, let's take that as a given for a moment. Um, I think Facebook and Google and Twitter 
are, are very much caught in the same trap that uh, the American military has been for the last 75 years in that we are fighting they, they are fighting the last war uh, and they are going to come up with great ways to prevent what happened in 2016 happening again but by the time they implement those for 2020 uh, whatever the, whoever their adversary is will have evolved sufficiently that they're not going to see what hit them next time around yeah and they're, um, they're also and, assuming, and, may, it- and maybe it's not the Russians. Maybe it's operatives within the Republican Party or some populist movement within the U.S. But I'm I'm not convinced that what they're doing is going to actually address the new problem, whatever sh- sh- form that takes. Because because there are people who who are spending a lot of time uh, wor- working the the social media monster uh, to to bend it to their will, and I, I'm not convinced they're going to be able to stop that. Yeah, I think it's um, yeah. I think you're right about the fighting the last war part. Um, I, they're also assuming that the election is going to be close, which we kind of make that assumption because in recent years almost every election's been close. But if it's not close, there's not a whole lot you could do about it. Um, well, in if, if polling is is to be uh, believed at this point, it sounds like it's going to be a slam dunk for whoever comes out of, of the uh, Democratic primary. But <laughs> the there's, problem is there's a lot of road between here and now. <laughs> yeah, the problem is it's got to be one of them. And then you got to face the fact of, uh, of who it is. Um, you know, it, you're right. The polls do look yeah. like that. But uh, again, Obama won with 51% of the vote in 2012. And so nominating like a third-rate version of Obama is seems like it's not going to do that. But the the only uh, the the only way that you could say they could win is because they're running against Trump, who's not liked by a large section of the population, but he's a very, um, very strong uh, core. Um, But something he's very good at is making his opponents self-destruct. And Mm. so I, uh, (laughs) I don't think they're uh, even still, I don't think they're ready for that. Well, so 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 taking a step back for a moment to uh, the the Project Veritas video. Um, so I think, oh, finally, just to close that out. Um, oh, go ahead. I, yes, in the end, it could be close. If it's not close, it could be not close in either way. Sorry, I'm I'm doing a very uninformative prior here, but that's the, uh, that's the situation. It, it will be one of these three results. Yes. I can guarantee it. <laughs> it will either be close or not close. And if yes. not close, it will be not close in one of two ways. Or asteroid just all the bases all, are covered. Yeah. Um, but I, I was going to say that, that coming back to the Project Veritas video, um, like, like much of the stuff coming out of, of James O'Keefe's work, um, I, I can't imagine he's related to George O'Keefe. That, that was a weird tangent no. my brain went on. Uh, but it, it's... This is not material that's going to uh, convince somebody to kind of change their priors. Um, this is very much going to reinforce whatever your opinion was uh, about whether uh, you know Google and other tech firms are in the tank for the Democrats or whether they're they're simply uh, trying to prevent uh, trolls and and outside influencers and you know foreign intelligence agencies from from interfering. Uh, that that there are pieces you can pull from from that footage that reinforce both of those t- stories and we're looking at the same material and uh, it's it's unfortunate that that it this is this is butting right up against the well you can have your own opinions but not your own facts well the the same facts here tell two different stories depending on what light you put them in so th- this is this is only i, I feel going to entrench people further into whatever s- side they were predisposed to believe before seeing this um so at, at the end of the day, nothing changes except everything's changing. <laughs> All right. So before we end, I want to move on. Can AI be used in making scientific discoveries? Well, it could be used, but is the AI actually doing science? So we found an interesting blog post on that from Joe Huffman uh, blog, um, joehuffman.org, uh, recently. Uh, researchers from Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory trained an AI called word to vec By the way, they didn't train word to vec Well, I'll talk about word to vec in a second. Trained an AI called word to vec on scientific papers to see if there was any latent knowledge that humans weren't able to grok on first pass. The study, published in Nature on July 3rd, reveals that the algorithm found predictions for potential thermoelectric materials which can convert heat into energy for various heating and cooling applications. So this was sort of an interesting 
AI Does Science article, and I want to dive a little bit into what's going on here. And I realize the way I talk about some of this stuff, it might be hard to understand. So, Aaron, I hope that you'll ask some good questions <laughs> here. First of all, um, The Singularity is Near, he used as the title of his blog post. Uh, that's actually the title of Kurzweil's 2005 book, which I've read. Um, so, uh, yeah, which I think he may have linked that directly in, yeah. in his post. So, that well. book is so Kurzweil is usually talking about uh, the. Um, the law of accelerating returns when it comes to information technology that's related to Moore's law, just technology getting faster and faster and faster. Uh, yeah, he, he, he uses that term in, in relation to a technology explosion as opposed to some people use it in the context of the jump from good AI to kind of super AI. Right, um, right. Where be, mo- moving, moving to and beyond uh, general intelligence. Right. AI. Well, the idea is that, you know, AI is going to become so intelligent around 2045, there's some phase shift and everything's going to change. There are phase shifts all the time. Um, in Like mobile is one of them where computers can now be in your hand. Uh, that's, I mean, that's maybe not the most significant one, but it's the one I think you'd understand the most. Um, but... When the phase shift comes with intelligence, uh, that's what's called like the singularity. Okay, finally we have these super intelligent computers. We don't have to go into that today. That's a lot. Um, but so, what's Word to Vec? I think it came out in 2012. I've been playing around with Word to Vec in 2012. It's a system that it, it trains on any text corpus you give it, which is like a bunch of you know documents, and it assigns each word a vector. That's what it means, word to vec. A vector meaning essentially a list of numbers, usually 300 numbers. We say that's a 300-dimensional space. But think about it. I take the word. Um, what word am I going to take? Uh, let's take the word thermoelectric, okay? The word thermoelectric is something that um, word to vec, once trained, will turn into a list of 300 numbers. And in that list of numbers embedded is the meaning of the word. And there are some interesting things. I think the example is there are certain like invariants in these meetings. So um, if you take the numbers in the word uh, woman and subtract them from the numbers in the word man, you will get the same then if if you like if you take uh, then if you take queen and then you subtract the numbers from the word king you'll get roughly the same numbers uh so there's some funny funny but like interesting invariants uh when you uh when you c- compute these vectors cuz it's basically like where it lives in that space of numbers is the meaning of the word and so you kind of tell which words go together which words have close meaning it's all based on which words are near each other in the corpus so it's not actually trying to learn the grammar it's just kind of trying to learn, um, using very sophisticated statistical and machine learning techniques, using deep learning, you now, know, which when you words say appear near each which other. Which words are near each other in yeah. the corpus? Are, are you saying that this word is usually uh, found adjacent to or within a certain number of words of this other word? Exactly. Or, or is it some other geometry networking? Yeah, exactly like that. Okay. Um, but it does matter. It's not like, oh, is it just within five of this word? Is it like, you know... Uh, is it, you know, skipped to, it uses the information on how many words you skip. Right. So it's not just, um, yeah. So because there's, there's, there's more valuable mapping to be done there yeah. than it is the distance less than five, uh, because a distance of, of, of three versus a distance. It, it's not just how far the distance is, uh, cause there could be right. significant meaning to, Right. Certain, certain spacings. But the important point is it doesn't actually learn the grammar, although um, you, know, you can argue with deep learning you don't really know what's going on. Maybe it's learning pieces of the grammar. Uh, but um, I don't think it really knows the grammar very well. It just gets – it just is kind of classifying words in a space in a very intelligent way so that the meanings um, come and appear in these numbers. And then you could use them you, – you know, these numbers can be used – by computers a lot more easily than the words themselves. Now, now, is this one of those scenarios where you can can quote unquote run the algorithm in reverse and have it spit out uh, intelligent sounding, well constructed scientific uh, thoughts? No and sentences. Uh, no, no, um, no. Okay. So I don't think it's not really a language model. Okay. Um, if that's what you mean, it's a, like the language models we came up with in episode four uh, when we were doing yeah. decryption. It's it's not a language. Well, and, and and we've talked about some of the um, 
Yeah. I, I think they're more predictive text uh, models, but yeah. but using using algorithms like that to uh, to write fiction. Yeah. Now you, you you can probably use it in a predictive text model. So for example, if you have a word, right, and then let's just say my like n-gram statistical model says like, well, this other word is very likely to come after it. Well. You can use you can use the information of word to vec, and if you said, well, if this word is very likely, maybe another word that's similar to it should also be given some weight mm-hmm. as well. And so you can use it to make those a lot more intelligent, and you could use those to infer words that could be there even if you haven't seen. So um, let's give an example, like one word following another. Um, I don't know. Uh, oof, it's it, it's a tough one. To figure out, like, oh, let me just look at the. Okay, here's one. We're talking about the National Laboratory. Um, so, you type in National, and then maybe it thinks Laboratory might come come next because Laboratory is in my corpus after National. I've seen it come after National before, but maybe words that are similar to Laboratory might also come after National, just because. Uh, you know, they're similar words, even though I haven't uh, seen it before. So you could do intelligent things like that with word to vec. If does that make sense? Am I did I, I totally go I off the rails so. there? Okay. Um, cool. And so don't, don't ask me to do it, but but I think yeah. it makes sense. All right. So I do want to ask, like, okay, is this really a machine doing science? And I sort of think it's sort of aiding in the search process, and that's not bad. That's a good thing. But it's more like a recommender system. So. It can look at the words and the problem that you're trying to solve, and then it looks at words and other problems that were solved and solutions, and then, you know, it, it, it takes your new problem, and then it looks at words that were prevalent in similar problems to find um, stuff that was um, that that worked. But again, not only does it match the words word for word, it also finds synonyms. Um, and similar words, so and relationships between words, so that could be really helpful. Um, and so, yeah, and the fact that it maps meaning a little bit, even though it's imperfect, uh, it can be way more sophisticated. Uh, but look, I've used word to vec and it's certainly imperfect when it comes to meaning of words. It's very good statistically, but in terms of, you know, being sure that it's going to get one word right, you can't be, um, reasonably sure. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would put this at least on par with the publishing of survey papers where they're taking uh, a number of different works in a specific area and synthesizing them and, and coming up with some conclusions based on pooling the results of other works that are being done while not doing any new original work. Um, yeah. I'd say this is at least on par with that. Yeah, I think so. They say that they. Which is a surprising amount of published science being yeah. done these so days. So they say they predicted. Um, uh, a, a a discovery that was made more recently by training on past um, past papers, uh, just by kind of looking at you know kind of looking at yeah, these we, similarities, looking at these words of vec results, um, and so that's they, they put in uh, uh, research papers from before two thousand nine, and it, it predicted. Some, some material that was later developed in like 2012 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'd be more um, impressed if they correctly predicted a future one, or but well, it sure. suggests that um, this can be used to suggest future ones, even if it doesn't tell you the answer. Oh, this chemical can do this. But it could be, if you're looking for a solution to the problem on what chemical has these properties I'm looking for, um, you might have a system like this that can help you search for these chemicals that can give you more than a traditional index might be. So, because right now you could be like, okay, which chemicals have these properties? If they're indexed just based on the words, you might be able to type in those properties and get the chemical out right away. But if it's looking at all the synonyms and the scientific meanings of the words and how they're used and what's kind of associated with each other, you might be able to find more stuff than you otherwise would be able to find. Yeah, this this seems to be coming at uh, a, a problem. I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, but um, there there was a uh, some sort of machine learning algorithm that was doing, uh, I, I believe it was protein folding uh, uh, experiments, and and so it was it was performing these these lab experiments in 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 in, in vert- 
performing them virtually. Um, so, so it wasn't actually you know running robots and performing them in a lab, but it was it was doing them in a in a model simulator. Uh, and it because it wasn't doing this in the real world, it was able to do it several orders of magnitude faster uh, than than any real lab would be able to. So they could run through millions of scenarios and come out with you know these are the 200 most promising uh, combinations that that would be worth actually going into the lab and taking a look at. And so that that's coming it from kind of a a uh, a physical model approach. Yeah. Whereas this is coming at it from a from a research literature approach, uh, but but providing a similar similar result, saying this this is an area you should look into. I I don't know if this is the answer, but but there there's a high likelihood of promising results down this particular alley, and and so it's it's worth putting real human scientists and real lab resources towards this. Yeah, I mean, this is that's almost like engineering design. Like you simulate a bunch of things and then you find out what, what works. Um, now, now, the real danger would be, uh, and, and I don't know that this is necessarily any worse than if you were to leave this entirely up to the, the human scientists and, and research grad students, uh, but what is to prevent this kind of a, an algorithm, this kind of uh, machine learning approach from getting stuck in a local maximum? Uh, well, we already talked about that. <laughs> we already talked about that in episode four. Is that you right, so, so there, over there are over. techniques you can use to, yeah. to, to get around that. But, but we don't necessarily know that the people taking this approach are keeping that in mind. As we know, we and, always... And so they could very much be, be sending themselves down, not necessarily a blind alley, but cutting themselves off from, from a, uh, a, a, another very fertile valley of research that's just over that mountain range. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and again, this is not... Uh, this is not like a fact-finding machine. This is a statistical, a, f- a very good one, but it's a, it's a statistical machine nonetheless. All right, the show notes is on localmaxradio.com slash 76. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show Send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.